Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scotland is one of those places that seems to never really be simple, or summed up neatly into a couple of words. Sure, you could try, the tourists certainly do. Tartan, booze, and heavy accents. But I lived here all my life, never worn tartan nor drunk, although I suppose my accent is fairly thick. In reality, it's like most places in the world are nowadays. A strange mix of tradition and striving to be ahead in the modern world. But one thing that truly seems to persist with the country is fear. The fear of the countryside, the hills and the cliffs, the strong currents of the sea, the knowledge that the world out there is a dangerous place. Fear followed us into the towns as well one of the simplest forms of merely being stabbed by one of the notorious gangs on the East Coast. But after my experiences growing up, I would say the fear of the countryside persists the most. That old world of magic and ghouls, so easy to laugh about when sitting at home. But out there, on the moors, it's the type of place where you really could start to believe those old stories. I grew up in the countryside in one of those tucked away houses in the highlands, which, in order to get to, one needed to take the most underused roads possible before turning down a practically hidden track winding deeper into the unkempt forests. In a lot of ways, it was a pretty darn good place to grow up in. There was little traffic, so my parents had little worry over the usual city problems. Plenty of room to keep animals of all sorts, and a vast playground stretching out for miles. There were a few downsides, of course. A long journey to school and back each day, even longer once I moved up to secondary. A pretty crap internet connection, once we finally got it. And a temperamental source of electricity. We got good at playing board games during power cuts. But one thing that I loved about our house was its location, near the base of the steep hill. My parents were enthusiastic hill walkers, and although when I was little, I'd complain about being dragged along, I soon caught the bug for it. 
All we had to do for a great walk was take the pathway from the back of our house heading uphill and just follow it along. Soon enough, the trees would clear and you'd be left with a pretty fantastic view of the landscape. It was also the type of hill close to several others on one side, the types that all appear to melt into each other and loom dauntingly, bordering the view from a car window on the long stretch of road heading towards Inverness. And boy, if you love walking, you'd adore these hills. Of course, my parents were always cautious when I was little. It was definitely the type of place you wouldn't want a small child wandering about by themselves. But once I got older, I was allowed to go out by myself, promising to stick to the designated path and not go too far. But kids never really listen to their parents, do they? Of course, as I grew even older, my parents became much more lax about the rules and trusted that I was able to look after myself fairly well on my own. And generally, I had good experiences up the hillside. I found what I can only really describe as the glory of walking, the feeling of being completely isolated and at one with nature, the vastness of everything. The knowledge that the path I was walking had been one that people many generations ago had taken. But I suppose the story is about the bad experiences I had up there. As beautiful as the landscape was, there's another thing about Scotland, and that's the weather is unpredictable as our own tempers. There was once, when I was about nine years old, I'd grown bored of watching television and decided to head out on a walk, taking one of our three dogs along with me, Penny, a border collie, and we wandered up along the hillside. I was heading towards this pile of rocks, which I'd nicknamed Stonehenge, but was in reality most likely an old carn that had been knocked over and its stones haphazardly scattered. It was a bit off the beaten path, but not too far away from the safety zone. I enjoy going up there to play about at being a Neanderthal or tomb opener. The details I can't remember, but what I do remember is how I was so caught up in my imaginings and play that I didn't realize the weather had taken a turn for the worst, and that a thin veil of mist had set in that was growing steadily thicker and thicker. I noticed this and even though I started to feel unsure, I could still see the pathway. So I shrugged and carried on playing. The next thing that I knew, there was a loud bark from Penny, who I turned to face to see what she had gotten so worked up about. But as I turned, I saw her speeding towards me, her teeth bared. When a dog comes running towards you as though it's about to attack, it's a pretty frightening thing, especially when you're so young. I was frozen, still trying to figure out where I should run when Penny had already jumped on top of me, toppling me over, and I fell in the gap between two of the largest stones. Thankfully, I didn't crack my head open on a rock, but the tumble was still scary enough, and I merely curled up whimpering, convinced that my dog had turned against me and would tear me to shreds. 
She hovered above me, her teeth inches away from my neck. But instead of reaching down, she continued to snarl at something that wasn't me. She barked, and I felt her weight lift from me as she moved off of me, furious at something I couldn't see between my fingers. I stayed very still for, well, I don't know how long, but it felt like an eternity. And finally, she stopped appearing as though she was about to attack, and retreated back to me, tentatively licking my face. I gathered as much bravery as I could muster, and got up on my knees before she nudged me away from where she'd taken a stance. I stood up and moved toward the path, and Penny stayed close at my side. Still not at ease, though. She relaxed a little when we met the trodden path, but as I stumbled back along towards home, quickly my legs still brushed against her side as I took each step. I had a bit of explaining to do to my parents when I came in, but they were used to me getting a bit dirtied up and scratched when I played in the forest. I mentioned how defensive Penny had gotten, but we all ended up brushing it off, thinking it had maybe been a stray sheep that she'd been growling at. The second experience I had was a fair few years later, when I was 15 years old. At the age in which I'd probably spent the least amount of time outside on walks, as I'd gotten caught up in the world of the internet and was unable to communicate with my friends relatively cheaply at home, something which I was greatly excited by. That Saturday, the internet had failed, and I'd gotten increasingly angry, taking my frustrations out by yelling at my parents about how horrific it was to live so isolated, and, in the typical teenage manner, I stormed out of the house. Knowing that they'd be likely to follow me on the road towards civilization, I headed in the opposite direction and took myself up the hillside. Slowly, my frustration diminished as I worked out my anger through my physical exercise, and I found myself almost smiling as I looked out at the view that I hadn't seen in some months, haven't forgotten how glorious walking was. Instead of going back home in a much more reasonable mood, I decided to enjoy the countryside that afternoon and started wandering about the hillside. By that age, I knew the whole area better than most people know their hometown, and could have figured my way back home in the middle of the night. I hiked up the summit of one hill before dipping down and up again to the next summit. As I looked out, I could see that the weather was taking a turn for the worse again, and I headed back home. As I wandered back, a strange combination of mist and clouds started unfurling itself, obscuring the summit from my view and wafting down the hillside in waves. It was just about then I started to feel odd. There was a strange sensation, a tingle down my spine, if you'll pardon the cliché, and my steps, although usually strong and steady, felt unsure. I stumbled down the hill as fast as I could before glancing down at the landscape around me that was now partially obscured. It was then that I had the single most terrifying experience of my life. 
as silly and typical as it sounds, I felt doubt. Doubt over where I was. You see, I had a vague idea, but was doubting whether I really was where I thought I was. As I've said before, I knew that hillside so well that to have a moment where I felt unsure was completely alien. I then panicked. Blind panic is one of those things that you feel ashamed of, or don't really understand as a watcher, but it was what I experienced up there. Everything became so silent, and all I could hear was the beating of my heart. My breaths grew ragged and shallow, uneven, inhaling too little, exhaling too much. My childhood world was gone, and I was in a place that I didn't know, or would never get out of. It's a fairly common occurrence for people to get lost in the highlands. People wander out into the hills, get hurt, and can't get help. People get lost among the heather and fall in a peat bog, unable to get out. It's a sad truth, but you get used to it. We get a lot of tourists in our area, and they often do go missing. And the number of cups of tea we've served to rescue teams is innumerable. And it's sad that we appear to have grown an exterior skin, being a bit insensitive and feeling more that the tourists were a bit dim for getting lost up there not sticking to the paths. In that moment, though, I genuinely believed that I wasn't going to get home. I broke down, and I ran. It didn't really matter that the tears were obscuring my vision, or that the misty clouds had grown thicker than ever, or that I had no idea where I was running. I just ran as damn well hard as I could. I wasn't going to be someone who would curl up into a little ball and freeze to death. And for some reason, I just hoped as long as I ran downhill for long enough, I'd reach some form of civilization again. But that depended entirely on which hill I was on. I stumbled along down, trying hard not to fall, although I'm sure I twisted my ankle by plowing through the uneven terrain until finally... I fell down. I screamed, a true, complete, uncontrollable scream, as I fell to the ground hard. I banged my face on something hard and cried out in agony. I felt my face and was cringed to find a warm, sticky substance on my fingers. I wiped it away as best as I could, and I squinted hard to see what I'd fallen on. I almost cried with joy when I realized that I must have tipped over one of the rogue rocks of my little Stonehenge. It was relief to know that I was at a well-visited landmark of mine and had the instructions of how to get home from here carved into my mind. Although it's a bit pathetic to admit this, I crawled to the path and cried with relief when I reached it. I continued crawling for a good part of the way, just too scared to get up and to see the world closed off around me, with the mist pressing in from all sides. I eventually managed to stand up again once I'd reached the muddier path of the forest. My parents were worried sick when I got back in, and quickly drove me to the hospital. 
My wounds weren't too bad, but I'd lost a lot of blood since the cut was on my head, so they stitched it up. I shakily managed to tell my parents that I just panicked, ended up running and tripped. It could easily be chalked up to nerves, or the fact that I hadn't been walking up there for a few months. But I felt in my heart it was something deeper than that. There had been an instinctive part of me that had felt wrong and thought I wouldn't dare admit it to anyone. I hadn't been alone on the hill. It hadn't just been bad weather. It had been the strange sort of mist that had either fogged my brain or had been trying to draw me into it. After that incident, I wouldn't go walking up the hill by myself and always made sure I at least brought a dog along. I was simply too shaken up, but it didn't completely deter me from enjoying the splendors of the hills. The final time I went walking into the hills was about a year after the last incident, and I was 16. I was starting to feel a lot better about what had happened, and began to rationalize it in my head. One of my closer friends had come over for a weekend, and we had spent the first night staying up late, stuffing our faces and munching away on whatever food we could find in the cupboard. The next day, though, our entertainment was wearing thin, and we decided to get out and about a bit. Unfortunately, having woken up late, we'd missed the ride into the closest village with my mum. And instead of taking a trek down to the bus stop, we decided just to do a walk nearby and set off up a hill. We laughed and jested, and I showed my friend, Leslie, the place where I'd cracked my head open, as well as the carn on top of the hill. And we spent a good couple of hours simply wandering slowly around the hillsides. Again, we lost track of time a bit, and it was starting to look a bit dim so we started to head back home. A mist had settled in and the whole place felt as it had when I was 15, a bit disorientated. However, I took deep breaths, controlling my emotions and continued on in a calm manner. After a while, Leslie started to worry a bit aloud. Are you sure we're heading in the right direction? Yeah. I replied confidently, trying to keep my voice assured. There was a pause as we walked in silence for five minutes. Well, how come it's taking so long? Leslie moaned. Are you sure you know where we are? I nodded. How can you even tell this? My friend gestured around at the white landscape. I didn't really know how to answer that. I was just using my gut instinct. I could have pointed out a couple of rock shapes that we'd passed that I knew well, but I doubt it would have seemed very convincing. Leslie knew that I'd gotten lost here once, and evidently that was casting doubt on the accuracy of my judgment. I looked around and realized for the first time how blindingly white it all seemed, and it was just then that I saw something else in the mist. Glancing back at Leslie, I saw that my companion had seen the figure too. It was hard to properly see, but it definitely looked like someone else had gotten caught in the ridiculous weather as well. 
some poor bugger stumbling about, looking lost. I sighed and was just about to say I was going to go fetch them and take them back with us when Leslie spoke first. Look, why don't we just ask them for directions? I choked back a laugh. <laughs> Somehow I don't think they're going to be the best help. It's probably some tourist. She looked at me incredulously. What are you talking about? They look a damn lot more sure of themselves than we do. I glanced back at the figure, which appeared to have fallen down, confused. Look, come on, before he goes, Leslie started off towards the figure. No. I grabbed her arm. What? I spoke in an urgent whisper. The thing over there? It's standing up. Leslie looked at it before turning back and rolling her eyes. Yes. I looked over. The figure was most definitely on the ground, fumbling about. We should go now. What? Shh. I lowered my voice. Now step back slowly. Oh, for Christ's sake. Look, I'll just be a minute to go ask the guy if we're headed in the right direction. Okay? I shook my head, but she pried her arm from my grasp, made a face at me, and wandered off towards the figure. I watched her go as she and the figure faded slowly from my view. I waited for ten minutes, and then I went home. When I got home, I told my parents that Leslie and I had gotten separated, and a search team was called. I wasn't entirely sure whether I should mention the figure we'd seen. It was hard to make out by both of us, but with such differing behaviors, I told the police when they came to interview me. I doubt they took me seriously, what with the fact I'd had bad experiences before, and probably concluded that I had a hallucination of some sort. After all, a lot of people go up, but not everyone comes down. It's a sad and unfortunate truth. But now, looking back, I'm not so sure it was as simple as that. Of course, accidents happen, but I can't help remember those three incidents. The same prickling of hairs against my shirt. The same feeling of the mist pressing in around me. The same nagging that something wasn't quite right. You see, the figure was two things at once. From my perspective, I saw a lost tourist. Some poor bugger that had strayed from the path and not getting back before getting completely disoriented. Leslie claimed to have seen someone who was sure of themselves, someone to ask for help. And we both saw something that we were attracted to approach. I didn't, and Leslie did. And they never found Leslie. And after that day, I never went hiking there again. Now I've moved away, and in my final year at university in Aberdeen, glad to have moved on with my life. There have been times I've been out with mates to the pub and come across the group of tourists just heading north. They often ask a few of us about the highlands, and for any stories. Sometimes they even ask directly about mythical creatures, such as the Loch Ness Monster, or about the Fae and I tell them my story. 
Normally, they'll nod and listen politely enough, while my friends jeer away at me for trying to wind up the tourists for being a bit soft in the head, believing in fairies and the like. But there are a few times, after I laugh off the teasing, that I catch someone's eye, whether they be someone I share a mutual friend with but don't know well, or a quiet drinker at the bar listening to our conversation, someone who, themselves, have lived outside the cities. And we share, just for a moment, an understanding. 